What's up, everybody? It's been a little while since we've had a new episode. It's been a little while since I've had to preface an episode with one of these little warnings. Typically, it's because uh, I blew it on the production side and we had some big technical malfunction, which is not the case this time. Uh, This time, I just wanted to give a little preface because this is the first part in a new little kind of mini series of episodes that I'm going to do, sort of an interview series, I guess, uh, that's all about making your first feature film. I know that over the last seven or eight months or whatever, Mike and I, in some episodes, have alluded to having made a movie over the summer. All these rumors are true. Uh, It's a movie that I wrote and directed and Mike starred in called Venus and Cancer. Uh, We talk about that a little bit during the episode. But today I brought in uh, a filmmaker named Ian Brander, who's a really nice guy and has a movie that he is only, I think, two or three, four days away from completing. And we talked about a whole bunch of stuff, you know, from the writing process to, you know, kind of pre-production failures and all of the kinds of things that scramble your brain when you are working on something like this. I wanted to start it because I I had a really crazy experience, I think, making my first, and I know a few other people who have, and it's sort of a smaller club than you think of. It's a unique experience to go through. So I thought that for anyone who is, you know, kind of staring down the barrel of trying to do the same thing, that maybe, you know, they could glean something from it, because I know that I, when I was leading up to making it, watched and listened and read a whole bunch of stuff like the conversation that Ian and I just had. Um, Otherwise, I know people want more spicy, fiery takes from me and Mike about television, and television's been really good lately, so uh, I'm hoping that we can do something on the Euphoria and Righteous Gemstones finales, which are both tomorrow night, and I cannot wait for So I'm sure that we'll have stuff to talk about. Oscars are around the corner. Plenty of stuff on the way. I hope you guys enjoy today's podcast. This machine kills fascists. starting our new or i'm going to start this new series that i've been wanting to do for a while because i just made my first feature film and i wanted to talk to other dudes who have done the same or are doing the same or about to do the same thing because it's a like we were talking about off mic before we started that it's kind of an impossible fucking thing to do yes. the deck is stacked against you <laughs> and uh oh, i don't know if you're like me but leading up to to making Venus, and I'm sure maybe leading up to making your movie too, that you probably consumed a lot of content like this, mm-hmm. of other people that have gone through it, 
mistakes that they made or or things that actually worked out for them, uh, which I think is invaluable because there's really no reason to to hide secrets or anything like that. So today yeah. I got Ian Brander in the house. Hello, everybody. Uh, Ian is what did you tell me? Four days away from wrapping oh. your first feature. Well, okay, estimated four full production days left. Uh, I think we're 20, 22 or twenty three days in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we That's st- not bad. Thirty days of shooting isn't bad. Yeah, and I was hoping for less, but there's so many goddamn like locations in this film. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, tell us tell us the number you told oh, me a minute ago. Yeah, it's in the seventies. It's in the, <laughs> it's in the high seventies. I think it's it's seventy seven or seventy nine. Uh, there's a lot of different locations, and uh, part of the reason, I, you know, I was aware with independent films, it's a lot easier, you know, to have less setups. Mm. If you can, you know, have the majority of your film in a single house, it's like... Um, it's like why horror movies are so... Yeah, are, are lucrative, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, all those... Um, yeah, or The Purge, right? It, sure. it all takes place in one area. But... I had other cost-cutting strategies for this film, and I I did not want to make a film... Cost-cutting is going to be the theme of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, it's like, I had no budget for this film. I raised $1,300 on GoFundMe. Pretty good. And that was about... I I estimated I would raise anywhere from, like, eight to $1,200. And my strategy Mm -hmm. was, like, I was not going to do giveaways. Because, you know, I I don't have a huge sphere. Sure. Sure. And I, I just knew I would not have success just randomly, like, begging people to chip in $20. Sure. So instead what I did is I took Darren Aronofsky's approach, uh-huh. where when he made his first film, it was called Pie, Faith, and Chaos, and he, yeah. he asked everybody he knew to donate $100. Right. And that adds up faster. And I figured it was only going to be my family members, like, maybe sure. my aunt or somebody who's going to donate. Sure. Um. So that that's what I asked, and I did not do kickbacks. I did. There was no incentive for anybody to give. There's no free T-shirt. There's no stickers. Sure. It's I do just... always think that those. Are, <laughs> I do always. I mean, and all respect to anybody who's trying to make money to do their thing, but I'm always like, what the fuck are people going to do with a signed poster from your five thousand dollar movie? I mean, <laughs> you know, there's obviously like the the instances where maybe that does become some nice memorabilia, but. 99.9 times out of 100, that is not really going to mean anything to anybody. I Okay, I personally love it. We put, I, we put everyone's name in the credits who gave to ours, and I thought yes. that, that was sufficient enough. That was, that was yeah, that was my strategy, too, is if you get $100, you get your name in the credits. Sure. That's it. That's all you sure. get. And I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a shitty reward. And don't get me wrong, I love the kickbacks. Like, when I pitch into somebody else's film, and it's like, cool, I get a, I get a signed DVD. Sure. Like, hell yeah, I get to watch your movie first. Yeah, yeah, like that's great. Or I get to go back to it and rewatch it, and that's usually what I go for too—is the DVD or just whatever material, like anything I have where I can actually see their film. Sure, sure. Uh, and that's and that's true. I mean, and I'm clearly a big fan of physical media, but and this is maybe something we can talk about later too—is like the DVD game is kind of not is not present anymore. So like, whatever your like long term plan for the film is. The whole angle of, like, well, maybe we could get DVDs of this into a Best Buy or something like that is, like, kind of off the table because I know that I, you know, I I collect a lot of books and a lot of vinyl and stuff like that, but DVDs is a thing I've had to, like, clap my hands back on, and I'm like, nope, nope, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to indulge in that because it's more space and more shit, and I don't know who is still out there looking for seriously independent cinema on DVD. I am. 
I collect, and I'm not. So this is so this is your problem. Is yeah, it is. (laughs) And the reason why, uh, okay, so I'm not a collector. I'm I'm a minimalist, except for when it comes to cinema. Like, sure, I don't own anything. I own clothes. Mm. I own some books, uh, a computer, and a phone. But aside, uh, other than that, it's just I have cameras, Cameras I have lenses, I have lights, audio equipment, and a shit ton of DVDs. And so and you have that sexy one car Y box set, don't you? I, That's I like do, how we yeah. started talking, you and me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I actually didn't know about the Criterion Channel, so I was wasting yeah. a shit ton of money yeah. on just buying DVDs. <laughs> and I don't like spending twenty dollars for a DVD, but there are some films where it's just like you have to see them. Yeah. And I had no other way to. Well, I knew of no other way to do it at the time. Yeah. And I now have a subscription to Criterion Channel where I yeah. get to watch these obscure weird ass films. Yeah. And they um, do, and they do a good job I think especially of pulling those like this would have never crossed my path in any like I just watched some of Wayne Wong's movies and I'd never he directed Made in Manhattan but he had this whole independent career in the 80s and 90s. Before that that I'm like you know, living in Colorado, I don't know how I ever would have encountered that stuff. Yeah. Uh especially I was just trying to find DVDs. I said, the cat is being a bad podcast guest, so give me just a second. You're usually so good while we do this. Sometimes he likes to make a fuss. For me, so I, I tried getting rid of some of my DVDs and only holding on to my favorite films, sure. like the classics, sure. um, you know, maybe my top 50 or something. But I found myself really needing them later on, especially when yeah. I was writing the script, because I was like, I need to see... Like, you know when you're writing a screenplay, you kind of, like, borrow elements from other material. Oh, yeah. It's, like, from other books Borrowing you read. is very generous. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's generous. And I, I should have done more stealing, honestly, with this script. But there were there were some films that just are imprinted in your memory. And, you know, one of them was uh, City of God. It's a Brazilian yeah. film. And they have these really cool shots that look like they're filmed at maybe, like, a slower frame rate. Uh-huh. So probably like uh, 12 it, frames per second uh-huh. instead of 24. Right. But it has this really kind of like a choppy look to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really beautiful just how they do it in this in this film. And I, I couldn't YouTube it. Like I was trying to Google these scenes and I yeah. couldn't find them. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. okay, you know what? I should not have sold City of God. And I had to find <laughs> it again uh-huh. and scoop it up. And so for me, the DVDs are mostly like, they're, they're like a library where I can, if I yeah. need to reference something, I can go back to it. It's not like I'm watching these movies all the time. Uh-huh. That's but, how I justify all these books to my girlfriend. So I'm like, you never know what I'm going to need to reference Mike Tyson's biography. Right. So, but I've got, I've got it right here. And if you don't have that, <laughs> if you don't have those references, you get writer's block, right? Totally. If it's you need like, the 9-11 commission report, it's right there. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> uh, well, that's, I, that's a really good place to start. And I, do, and I really want to talk about the, the writing, because that's you know the, the first time that you make the movie. But I also really want to talk about influences and stuff. But what, first... Do you want to tell us about the movie a little bit? Yeah, so the film, the temporary title is called Matchbot. I'm most likely going to change the title because there's actually a... a PTA. Love it. Well, there's... That name has been registered trademarked. Oh. At around the same time that I uh, copyrighted my screenplay with the Library of Congress, they... Uh. uh, there's a company called Matchbot oh, that sells shit. auto parts. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to change. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to change in the script. I'm not going to change the dialogue. Uh-huh. But I think I'll change the title of the movie at some sure. point. But it's called Matchbot. And the, uh, this film, uh, it's set in the near future around uh, 2032, I believe, in the mm. script. And not much is different, but 
virtual reality is a little more prominent sure. in this world. Um, driverless cars. Okay. There's no longer, you know, Uber drivers are less common, and you can get picked mm. up by a robot. By a robot car. Sure. Uh huh. And yeah, less people have, you know, their own vehicles because of this. They just kind of Uber everywhere, and it's it's a little cheaper than. Uber yeah, now, like, a, like that. A, a sort of uh, alternative plan to public transportation. Yeah, makes more sense. It seems more like what we would do. Let's put more cars out there. Yeah, instead of building a train. <laughs> well, that's that's what, probably what's going to happen at some point, right? Yeah. It's like as as soon as they can undercut the human labor, they're going to, yeah, right? Of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, in this world, uh, AI is sort of on the rise as well, mm. and so uh, the character who we meet first is named Samuel Gonzalez and he's a aspiring like web developer mm -hmm. but Generation Z is like our age right like they're in their 30s right, right. now sure. and the job market's even more intense than it is now mm -hmm. so he's an aspiring software developer and his girlfriend is finishing her master's degree out in Spain and kind of having the time of her life and he gets approached by a social media bot that tells him uh, something is going on in their relationship. Okay. And right. kind of warns him that she's actually seeing other people. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> so at first he's just like, what the fuck? Like, who is this bot? Uh -huh. But then the bot, he finds out that the bot's like very, very, uh, has a lot of information about him. And he kind of tests sure. her knowledge. Sure. And... At the end of the night, he puts on a pair of VR goggles and he watches his fiance um, <laughs> cheat on him. Sure, sure. <laughs> and so that sets him into this like depressive downward spiral, uh, kind of like a, a, I guess, retroactive jealousy. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Spiral. Sure. And they, you know, they kind of temporarily go through a pause in their relationship. Okay. And she she basically ghosts him. So he has all this information about her that she didn't volunteer. Okay. All right. And so that's that's the premise of the film. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you have a lot of stuff going on between privacy and technology and yes. the economy and everything is happening yeah. in it. Good. And the side characters, there's there are these two friends, uh, Don and Juliana, and they too are, are struggling broke kids. But overnight, they sell um, an app. Sure. And now they're millionaires. Uh, they went from like having nothing to now they're, right. you know, they're very wealthy all of a sudden. Sure. Not very wealthy, but they're they're NFT apes all of a sudden. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's kind of these characters. Uh, the husband who did not build the app, but he kind of negotiated a higher uh, deal, uh -huh. a better deal for that app. Sure. He. He's got a very different idea of what to do with that money. Mm. Like, he kind of wants to spend it on, like, we're going to be the biggest fish mm. in this little pond, right? And she wants to she wants to move and do other things. Juliana kind of wants to move and um, grow mm. and uh, leave this shitty little town. Sure. And, yeah, he's, he's more of just like, no, we can, you know show everybody how cool we are now we can buy the best house in the neighborhood right we can have parties with caviar and cocaine and you know uh, yeah um, <laughs> so there's kind of a conflict going there the and, two c's of uh, success yeah, c, yeah. caviar and cocaine so yeah samuel uh in the meantime is trying to 
enlist uh, Juliana's help with his app because he's building an app um, to basically like identify spam bots on the internet. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, yeah, there's there's sure. a lot going on there, but the idea with this script when I wrote it was how do I write an interesting story with as few resources and people as I can? Sure. And so a lot of the, the, you know, the, what happens in the film is implied, right? It's implied technology. You don't really need to see right. a lot of these things, yeah. right? You don't need to see what's on the other end of a VR headset. Sure, sure. But it still captures our imagination a little bit, right? Yeah, no, totally. Well, and the, I think that the withholding is always going to be, you know, that's always going to work. That's H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. You know, he saw the most unthinkable, unimaginable horror, so it's left up to you to to imagine it. So that, that's always really effective. And I think that there's that's like one of the big benefits that cinema has is the what you choose to put in there versus what you can withhold. Can yeah, you, what you leave up to people's imagination. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's one of the reasons. You know, it's not a, maybe not a masterpiece of cinema, but the Blair Witch Project I think is a fantastic example of that. Right? Well, but I mean, but I mean, it's a masterpiece is debatable, I guess. But I, I mean, I like in, in terms of like cultural cultural relevance and like you know the the word avant-garde gets bandied around a lot and misused a lot and people don't really understand what it means but that one really was because it kind of punked audiences and people did not really and what was that 98 99 had no fucking idea yeah. <laughs> like whether this was real or not and it's so. all, like what actually what do we actually see in the film like we just see a bunch of people filming on the just shittiest cameras yeah just wandering around the woods yeah, yeah there's no production value there's nothing but they really just like just you know, forcefully grabbed your attention and totally. your imagination and used it in a very powerful way. And so that, that film is a big influence of mine of like what can be done with very little. Sure. Was there, um, was there anything else that was in that, um, sort of lower tier budget thing that was an influence to you? I mean, you mentioned city of God, which obviously is on the opposite side of that uh, yeah. spectrum. Um, I mean, I have other influences for this film, but yeah, as far as like really low budget stuff, um, I mean, you can talk about the other ones too. I'm, yeah. just, I'm just curious what, I mean, what what things you were sort of looking at as you mm. were writing versus stuff that you kind of thought tonally might have mm. worked or things that, you know, like because we kind of had these sectioned off during our movie too. The things that influenced the writing and then the things that like were influencing the photography and texture of the photography and stuff and yeah, the way the way that you actually want the movie to move. You know, what what kind of stuff were you thinking at or telling the actors to look at or yeah. Oh, actually, to answer your previous question, A Primer was another film. Totally. The best fucking low-budget sci-fi movie Oh, for ever. sure. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, that was a big influence for me because it's, you know, it's, um, I dabbled a little bit with coding for a while oh. before I realized, like, I, I just couldn't sure. enjoy it. So you do have a little bit of background in the, yeah, the, I, the world. Yeah, I know some HTML and, like, CSS, and I never got into JavaScript, but it's like, mm -hmm. I can build sort of the front end of, like, a mediocre looking website right? <laughs> sure. um, but the, yeah it kind of helped a little bit while writing the script but I'm sure you know a lot of uh, computer engineers could kind of look at the script mm. critically and tear it apart sure um, but with primer yeah I, I loved how the engineers talked in that film uh -huh. and how they kind of speak at like a rapid fire yeah 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 and it's how a lot of engineers talk too right yeah. it's like both of my brothers are in the computer field and they they talk that way they're very very quick and they just need to get to the point right so i think yeah t both tonally and budget that film was a huge sure. influence sure. um but yeah other influences um i watch a lot of 
a lot of like foreign films yeah international films i love korean movies and so i me think, as well yeah oh god they're so yeah. man I've I've yet to see it. I know they exist, but I've yet to see <laughs> a bad one. A bad Korean film. Yeah. They're they're fucking awesome, man. Yeah. I I just feel in, like in all styles too. Like yeah, so fucking good. I mean, yeah. Burning was a huge influence. Burning's incredible. Yeah, big big influence on this film. I think tonally and um, I love films that kind of wind around like a snake and they don't uh, actually have a solid like three act structure. Yeah, and they're kind of hard to predict, right? Yeah, like the Deer Hunter with Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> right it's like what the fuck is this and it's yeah. like it starts off with like a russian wedding and the first mm. 30 minutes of the film is a russian wedding and you're like yeah. this is fascinating and then you're in vietnam yeah and then after that it goes into this weird like underground like russian roulette yeah and it's all very believable the roulette shit, dude. yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm like i love or you know taxi driver or these films that you're just like where do they even cook up these ideas um Fight Club is another like I feel like the elevator <coughs> speech I gave for Matchbot was mm. shitty, but I love movies where it's like how do you give an elevator speech for that? To- yeah, to- yeah, the elevator pitch is not a thing that I uh, have perfected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like so. how do you give an elevator speech for Burning? I mean, I guess. Right. But yeah, or Fight Club. You're like, yeah, it's about a Fight Club, but it's also about soap. Right. Right. It's about cults. <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. right about <laughs> groupthink. Yeah. Yeah, groupthink. Um, you know men that don't have a purpose and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like fight club you can sell now if you're trying to make it now you're like this is about generation x <laughs> top to bottom oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just listless and pouty david fincher is a huge influence i think tonally sure like the dark look of his films yeah like, i just the social network um yeah it's one of the one of the best movies of the uh, century it's so fucking good yeah um so, somehow is like underrated even though i think it's pretty highly praised but I think people in our generation, it, it seems to me when I have conversations, seem to forget that social network is just like heat from the opening lines mm-hmm. until it's over. Like, very fucking good. Yeah. Danny Boyle's another filmmaker I Love just Boyle. really, really dig. And it's weird because, I, yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, in terms of Western influence, like Danny Boyle and David Fincher are probably my top two influences for this film. But they have very, very different styles. And almost opposite right it's like david fincher's meticulous and perfect and mm-hmm. danny boyle's kind of embraces imperfection yeah well and, and boyleism is, has a much harder kind of style to pin down because he really switches it up from picture to picture i mean so does so does fincher but you watch any seven minutes sequence of anything and you're like i know who directed this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> you know there is there is not a blip on the radar that thing is 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 wound like a watch in Fincher's movies and Boyle I mean I didn't see that yesterday movie but I was like this is a whole lot different than uh, 28 days later <laughs> I, I can't help it like even his shitty movies like I have to own a physical copy of them like uh-huh. I, I I have all of his films I, like The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio it's The Beach like, is super underrated I think it's it's underrated okay yeah and it's an, I like it it's enjoyable but it's like is it a good movie I don't know I can't really I think tell it's, but like it's hard because I think that that thing is locked and it's sealed in time a little bit that uh-huh. that was his, the DiCaprio's first movie after Titanic, and everyone was like, "What the fuck? Yeah, this is this is not the Mickey Mouse Club kid. What the fuck is going on?" Uh, so I, I think that it suffers from that. But it could, I mean, if someone like you know, if you played that at a, rep- at a repertory house like on Thirty Five or something, I would be fucking in to seeing the beach. You know, Danny Boyle's making a Sex Pistols show. Oh, okay. 
I mean, I'd, I'd so watch I said it too. I was yeah. like, I'm fucking 100 percent here for that. Uh, okay, well, that I mean, that's really good. So have you just kind of going through my notes a little bit here. I guess we can save some of that stuff. But I, I wanted to ask you more about the the writing because mm-hmm. this is the that was sort of the point. I think that I mean, there's that expression that when you're writing, you wish you were shooting, and when you're shooting, you wish you were editing, and when you were editing, you wish that you were writing again and now that I'm on the other side of it and I'm trying to write again I'm trying to like remember what it was like writing Venus and like it's hard for me to believe now that I was ever like on page 54 (laughs) you know that I was ever like having the the luxury of being in the middle of something rather than trying to be at the beginning or you know trying to trying to call everything together at the end so I mean what was your kind of process from like blank page to to finish finish script yeah. In actors' hands, I should, I guess. Oh, man. Um, so, the original film was intended to be a short film. Mm-hmm. Um, so was mine. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Then, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I think I know. You can't contain it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, if, if I'm going personal here, um, yeah, I'd have, I'd have failed relationship where I, um, like, read some of her text messages. Or some of her uh, correspondence. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And I didn't, I didn't like <laughs> what, what you found. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Only read a diary if you want to have your heart broken. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you know, I felt like a piece of shit for doing it, but at the same time, it's like, whoa, what if I, what if I never knew? Uh-huh. You know, and yeah, needless to say, that relationship failed, and I, you know, I, I take kind of the ownership for for that, um, but yeah. I, I had like a dream at one point of just like, what if, you know, in this dream, there was like a bot that like tells you when you're about to like date somebody, it just like spills out. It gives you all the red flags right away. Yeah. 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 So you don't even have to like, you know, the the relationship background check. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And you get that on each other. And so, um, God, I wonder how many of those I would pass if that were the case. Like how many people are like, okay, I'll take it on. Well, I think a lot has changed. Like I'm, I'm no longer this. You know, I, I feel like that was sort of my phase I needed to grow out of, of just sure. this control freak. And um, I think later on, it's just like my, yeah, my mindset was more of just like, really, it doesn't matter what people do. Like you're free to, you know, yeah. walk out of a relationship if you need to. Yeah. Like, even if you get cheated on, it doesn't really matter. Right. You can just leave. Um, at the time though, yeah, I think it's easier said than done, of course, but yeah, it's, um, now, you know, I think my mindset's more, it's like a learning process and it's like, it's good for us to go through these things and kind of totally right. And you know, I don't think a bot like this would be helpful to humanity, right? Right. Wouldn't be good for us. No, Um, (laughs) but that has nothing to do with its uh, potential of existing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In, in the timeline that you've laid down. Well, when I woke up, it was like such a vivid yeah, I was like, that was crazy. It felt really... And sometimes, you, you know, when you're dreaming something, mm. it seems like a good story while you're oh, dreaming it. And then sure. you wake up and you're just like, that didn't make any sense. It's nothing, yeah. But yeah, this made just as much sense. And I was like, I, I need to write... This. So I wrote it down. And then I realized, like, I, I should turn this into a, a short film uh-huh. um, and kind of see where it goes. And I wrote 30... It's like 35 pages, and I tried to keep it as small as I could. Like in, in one kind of steady 
session you did? In a couple of weeks, yeah, I wrote these 35 pages, and I, I realized, I was like, wow, well, there's no story here. It's just setup, right? Sure. Like, it's still clearing the throat, yeah. Yeah, I think it has to be a feature film. Like, uh, you know, if I write 10 more pages, it's... Yeah, you're already there. Yeah, yeah. you're already pushing that envelope. And, yeah. Um, so that was 2017 Okay. when I started, and I kind of let the ball drop and you know didn't go back to it for a long time uh, um but was it st- was it still oh it kind come, of banging around in your head yes and i would i would abandon it because i was like no this isn't a good story like it's yeah it's just not it's not interesting or mm. I, I go back and forth between wanting to trash it uh and just like i had to keep it was weird it was like i had to keep coming back and you know sometimes i'd read a scene i'm like yeah it didn't really read well so i'd fix it and mm. um at a certain point, I realized like I had to write this, and it was going to be a feature, but it was a long process. Like it, you know, I just wouldn't have enough ideas, and so I get writer's block for months at a time. Yeah. And then I'd have an idea, and I realized the important thing when you have an idea is write it. Like you yeah. do not have to have a completed scene; just like immediately write down everything. Yeah. And then you can build upon that later. Like, yeah. Don't store these ideas in your head. Like put them on fucking paper. Yeah. No, I I ASAP. totally agree with that. I think that. One of the most useful things that I ever heard about writing, because it's so easy to be like, I can't, I can't keep moving forward right now, so I'm not gonna do anything. And it's like, well, then fucking don't move forward. Go to like go, go to any other place in the script that you want, and just like keep, keep pulling stuff out of it. You know what I mean? Like, don't let something, don't don't let anything stop you. If you we need to get something down and it's bad. You can fucking fix it like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And I used to, I always used to describe it as like offensive days and defensive days where like offensive days were the ones where I like was pushing ahead in the script and like new moments and you know new characters or whatever and mm-hmm. defensive days I would just like start at the top and just go through it. And you never know like when you're doing that that like one detail might curl out and you're like that's exactly what I need to do on the other end is like you know tie tie up this loose end from page 25 or whatever, you know what I mean? Mhm. There's, and I think that letting stuff marinate in your head is also really good when you have when when you have forty pages or fifty pages or something and it's like you left a an open chest patient on the table or whatever like you can't really get your mind fully away from it so it does make it easier to get back to yeah yeah I was uh I was seventy I was like seventy some pages in at one point mm-hmm. and this was three years into the script maybe three and a half years. And I realized, like, oh, man, it was a crazy situation. So I, I was maybe 60% through with the script. And I had recently invested in, like, an older, like, red camera. Because I was like, I'm going to shoot the, this film on that camera. And the reason why, I like the older look of, like, some of these older red cameras that kind of have... They don't really, the colors don't really look natural. They're kind of green tinted sometimes. Yeah. Like yellows look green, but it's like, the, I kind the, of. The problem I have with some of those cameras, yeah. Yeah. But for this film, I wanted this kind of slimy, like grimy look. Sure. And, and you're dealing with technology so that even that kind of, some of them have like those really high contrast saturations and stuff like that that make sense in that vibe. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it's like, I had found, what, a red Scarlet X package on eBay for, uh, it was Forty five hundred dollars, uh-huh. which is you know, dirt cheap compared to what they were when they came out. Yeah, yeah, when they came out, and I just made like a lump sum of money from working on another film mm-hmm. as a, as a audio person, mm-hmm. 
And so I, I dumped it all on this camera. And I talked the guy down 500 bucks. I, I paid four grand for it. I was sure. like, this, that's a great deal. And it's going to work great. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'll just shoot the film on this camera. Uh. But at some point, I did a sensor recalibration. Uh. It was called a black shade with the red. Uh. And the camera overheated. <laughs> and it completely, like the screen went rainbow. Oh my God. And all because I did not have the fan set to like the right setting. Oh my God. And the reds are very primitive and they don't even give you a warning. Uh, right? They don't even tell that you. That it's overheating or something. Yeah, or they yeah. tell you to change the fan setting before you do a black shade. Right? right. I had it on a lower fan set. So it's like the camera overheated. And I tried to contact red and they were like, uh, they put me in contact with their sales team and they're trying to sell me a red Komodo. And I was just like, <laughs> Dude, fuck off. No. Like, can you point me in the right direction here? Like, is there oh somebody God. who I can pay to fix this? Or uh -huh. is it just, no, it's done for. Right. And they, they didn't really answer that question. They just tried to sell me a newer, newer model. And so I was, I was so frustrated. I was just like, dude, fuck film. Like I'm done with film. <laughs> and you know, it, I think in the back of my mind, it was like this, it was like a milestone, like, oh man, to get a red camera, like, sure. and it doesn't fucking matter what camera you have, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, that was a milestone. And then all of a sudden, I just wasted all the money I had on this thing. Right. And I was about to give up film, and you know, I've been doing this for, you know, 15 years, right? But it was just such a humiliating and frustrating moment. And, uh, you know, I kind of racked my brain, and I was like, what do I still have that I can like what do I have left right my camera's fucked it doesn't work anymore it's a nice like fireplace decoration right now yeah but I realized like I still have the script I, I'm yeah. still 79 pages you know whatever 70 something pages into the script yeah I gotta finish this goddamn script uh. and it kind of recentered me I was like you know what fuck the gear like yeah this is free man yeah why do I even have this camera yeah. Why did I even want it if I don't even have a finished script? Right. Right? Right. And so I took all that, like, anger and that energy and, like, just started pounding away at the script. Mm. And it was interesting because it was, like, the, one of the lowest moments in recent, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> recent history like for me. Like, in your, like, creative life, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it, it sparked the rest of the script being created. and. Uh. It was like the best thing that ever happened to me in a very, very long time. It's like this, this dream camera just dying. Yeah. That's... You know, I finished the script. I got a, I got a draft. And the way that I write is I don't really write drafts. Mm -hmm. I draft individual scenes. Sure. Because sure. it's hard for me to just write through something completely. Like I have to enjoy yeah. reading what I'm writing. Yeah. And so it's like I would write a scene, fix it. Until it's at a point where it's like, I enjoy this scene. And then I pieced it together like Legos. I, I had an overall uh -huh. map. Uh -huh. But I was like, okay, this scene has to come after this one to lead to this one. Oh, so you like really wrote it just... Um, I don't even know the word for that. Just like completely piecemeal out of place. Yeah, I had maybe... So what I had is I had a master document where I would like piece all the scenes in. Uh -huh. And then I had, you know, 140 uh -huh. or something 140, like... just single... Yeah, uh, <laughs> single scenes. And so uh, I had to piece them in together, kind of like Legos, of like, where does this fit? Uh, and then some scenes I didn't use. Um, but it was something David Lynch said that helped me. Is he said, like, if you 
take note cards if you take like 70 note cards uh-huh. and you write a scene on each note card then you've mm. got a complete film right and so that helped me kind of map out like okay that's what it looks like and I, i'd read plenty of screenplays before but it's uh-huh. it's different writing one you don't really understand the rules or no not at all so you know? there's the, i had so many times where i was doing mine where i'm like how the fuck am i supposed to write this to make this comprehensible i mean at a certain point it's like well i'm gonna be the person who makes the shot list the day before and i'm gonna be the one holding the camera so it doesn't really matter but you do want some 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 high comprehension level for your actors i think at least least. and there's and i you know i outsourced a couple things but i think there's still parts of my screenplay that i'm like that's probably not how that's supposed to how that's supposed to be written i i think it's marvelous i mean like i was i could tell venus and cancer was good just by seeing the shots like I, I randomly stumbled across, uh, upon your profile on Instagram, probably because we had mutual friends. Yeah, well, I think that I think you had been talking to to Mike about being in your movie, Mike. Yes, Mike, uh, yeah. who hosts this podcast usually. I really badly want Michael Lee in my film. Yeah, it was hard to. Everybody wants Mikey. Well, it was hard because yeah, it's like just the, the cast in this particular story kind of had to be younger. Sure. And younger than me, sure. you know. Wow, um, devastating for Mike when he listens. To this. Well, no, it's it's, it's just like uh, yeah, it just was very specific, and it sucks because it's like I, I was trying to like how do I how do I offer Mike a role because he's the best, you know, he's, he's so fucking good. He's one of the, I I think yeah. he's great. One of the best and, actors and he's in great the city. In Venus too. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I, th- I have some ADR to do for Kent soon, so I'll see how he looks in Kent's movie. Yeah. But I'm sure he's great in that too. Uh, Venus overall, yeah, I I knew it was gonna be good. When I saw, when I saw the film, I was I was blown away by how good it was. Honestly, like I I thought, stop. No, I'm I'm not I'm not, I'm not trying to like kiss your ass, <laughs> but like, it the script is really really witty. It's really funny. Like it just has thank you that quality. That's the one fucking thing that the whole time that I was getting people to read it and was sending it to people and talking about it, I was like, I think it's funny. <laughs> I, I thought it was hilarious. Everyone, everyone that would read it, they were like, oh my god, this makes me feel like shit, but I'm like, I swear to god, it's funny. Dude, it's so good, man. It Yeah, it's it's hard to find that level of quality on, on this scale. Like, the, you know, kind of like the Woody Allen or um, you know, Little Miss Sunshine, like that type of quality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you start seeing it on these higher level indie films, uh-huh. but on our level, it's like it's tough. You know what I mean? Like it's a tough. local indie Colorado Springs. Yeah, because well, you. St- I mean, it's like the think, scripts are usually a mess. Yeah, people right? and people are still like it seems to me like with like film guys. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That there's there's so many people who still are just like really into Tarantino and Marvel and like nothing else. You know what I mean? <laughs> like or like guys that are like really into christopher like bob my yeah. editor who i think you met yeah he talks about it all the time where he's like all these guys want to be fucking nolan making inception and not mm-hmm. nolan i forget the name of his first movie oh following Fo- the one that's like all shot next to fucking windows because he didn't have any lights or anything like that you know mm-hmm. what i mean so i was trying i tried to like get a degree in really low budget filmmaking like the joe swanbergs and perry's and josephine deckers of the world like who made those fucking movies like over a weekend with nothing? You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. it's like this I sw- like I swear to God, it's pop- I had so much pushback on how much that movie was gonna cost before we started. I remember sending it to one girl who I think was interested in helping me produce and maybe act in it, and she was like, I don't know how you could do this for less than thirty. And I'm like, thirty? Thirty what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm one, I'm not gonna get thirty thousand dollars to make this movie. And two, what the fuck would I spend that on? You know? I would have loved to have paid everybody more money, but like 
we were still able to pay and feed everybody and get everything that we needed for eight. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's just such a fucking myth that this has to be so expensive. It doesn't. Yeah, I think you have to be smart about the scope of the film. And I think sure. that's the problem a lot of indie films have is like they're trying to be Marvel. Yeah. Like they're trying to be, you know. And yeah, it's it's kind of impressive in its own weird way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm just like, why? Like, why do you need, you know, 30 people in yeah. an action scene? No shit. Like, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. Like, I it impresses me when people can pull that off. Oh, totally. But at the same time, it's like, my the way I would approach it is just, like, work within your means. Like, scale down and yeah. do it well. Yeah. Right? Like, don't, yeah. don't do things. Just don't half-ass it, you know? It's yeah. like, put all that, instead of, like, wrangling 30 people... Put all that effort and that brain power into getting a really good scene with two people. With two people. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, t- two people sitting down talking is still, like, undefeated. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? Well, it's like, look at Tarantino stuff. Like, it's still... No shit! I was gonna say... Most of its dialogue, yeah, right? Like, like, yeah, okay, the set design and all that, but, like... Sure. Now, but now, yeah, you know, yeah. before, I mean, Reservoir Dogs is, like... Yeah, the dialogue is so, so you know juicy I mean? and so like, good, and it's yeah. People seem to like have forgotten how like what the original charm of those movies was. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't the it wasn't the crane shot going over the the screen and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Even though that part is fucking sick. Yeah, that's not that's not that's not the journey I'm on right now. <laughs> I've I've yeah, being budget conscious. I'm not, yeah, again, I'm not going to say there's a right way to do, I think, I think people make different films and that's always the case. Totally. You know, you have, you have like actors, directors, and then you have, you know, David Fincher, who I think he got his start in CGI. And music, yeah, music or videos. Music videos. Like that, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so it's like, he's a very different filmmaker than, um, you know, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, because Fincher is definitely coming at it from a technical, mm-hmm. like, execution standpoint execution yeah. being an operative word for him I feel. or like silver linings playbook uh a russell yeah david o russell it's like the cinematography in that movie looks kind of like shit yeah but like it works really well for the film and it's, sure. it's all just centered around the performances right and so a movie like that's very different from a very technical style of film yeah um so yeah i'm not going to say that like there's only one way to make a movie but my my approach personally is like if you have a small budget scale down like i raised thirteen hundred dollars for my film and the rest of it i have to pay out of pocket and i don't Uh, know i honestly don't know how expensive this film is uh, like i'm paying as i go it's like i'm a i'm I'm an addict right (laughs) (laughs) i think that that's the mentality you gotta have yeah it's like you you buy scenes almost like you're paying for drugs that's crazy you're like okay you know this day costs me nine hundred dollars and i can't film tomorrow because i don't have the money for tomorrow so it's like I've run out of money, and it's it's just like to the point where I'm just you know kind of paying as I go, uh-huh. and I, I'm near the finish line, right? So it's not that intimidating anymore. Yeah, once you kind of get close, now you're like fucking. Let's do another fifteen pages, dude. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean. You, I think it, that's the that's the true sign, though. Right? Once you get mm-hmm. close, and you're like, I want to do it again. That's what you know. You're kind of doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, for me, it's it's not about you know the budget it didn't really matter what the budget was. Cause it's like, if I had triple or quadruple the budget, I, I would just pay the actors more. I'd pay the crew more. Yeah. I wouldn't it's insane. there's nothing else that I could have really yeah. spent. Like I don't need that money for this film. Yeah. Like, so how did, how did you go about budgeting it up? 
even even if you didn't end up having all the funds that you ultimately had this is just you know for anyone who's listening that's like trying to do this themselves like what what were you thinking about in terms of the way you wanted to to divvy up that money and where it was going to go well the first thing i invested in was um yeah the cast and the crew Mm. and honestly yeah it's like i didn't give them much you know it's like less than a thousand dollars like per talent you know Mm -hmm. and you know it's like one of my friends i even gave him like my best light because i couldn't (laughs) i just didn't have the money to trading goods (laughs) yeah so i was like here's my brightest light like you're gonna love it Uh, (laughs) that's hilarious but yeah i mean most of it you know i've been acquiring these props long before the movie you know, even before I knew the, who the, the cast kind of was. like technological. Yeah, like props. I found like VR headsets. Uh, sure. You know, I went to the Woodland Park Goodwill. Uh huh. Is that a good one? It's fantastic because there's there's a lot of rich people there, right? And so the, sure. I never thought about they that. let That's go really of really good stuff. You know, you can find VR headsets for two dollars that are maybe like forty dollars otherwise. Okay. Um, or just random things like, I I scooped up some stuff there, and you know, I'd buy certain gadgets that I thought might come in handy. Sure. Um, yeah, you put a fucking coat of black paint on something and it all of a sudden looks completely different, you know? Yeah, yeah. And honestly, yeah, there's not much in this film. Like, the wardrobe is mostly people's clothes. Yeah. It's like I ask them to dress, like, a certain style or a certain way or I'll give them sure. references of what mm-hmm. to dress like. Yeah. And then it's like, what do you have in your wardrobe? And then if it's something really specific, I'll order it. Yeah. If it's, like, a dress that a character has to wear, right. I'll buy it. But, yeah, I did not spend a lot of money on wardrobe. Um, we, yeah, we didn't spend a fucking dime on wardrobe. Yeah, there's not many props. Again, it's like a lot of it's implied technology. Like, we used uh, Rob's smart car as the driverless car because it sure. looks kind of small and futuristic. Sure. And we added that one of those Aperture MCs, those lights. Dude. Uh, <laughs> to light the inside. So it's like when the, when the uh, driverless car is talking to the character, we turn up the intensity of the light and uh-huh. then we fade it down once the driverless car stops talking and amazing things like that you yeah. know it's like no free ads but shout out to aperture oh, yeah. <laughs> you're you heavily used in both of these movies you yeah. want to say you want to send us some stickers go right the fuck ahead well there's another character in the film it's a, it's a home device called tammy uh-huh. tammy 2.0 is this character and we never see her sure the room lights up green whenever she talks when she talks yeah and you know, there's a voiceover that's going to, mm-hmm. I still have to find the person, but uh, we don't see it. It's right. just, you know, you kind of have to use your imagination. That's how I tried to frame this film to not only save money, but it's also technology is kind of an afterthought, right? This is like the normal right. world that people live in. Like, yeah, right. you don't have to rub it in the And, you're, and you're still telling a personal story ultimately. So all yeah. that shit is secondary anyway. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah, I think when I wrote the script, I tried the best I could you know I didn't want to have a party scene because um, originally there was the, going the, to be. the great debate should I do a party scene or not yeah yeah and I was like how do I not have a party scene and especially you know there are these characters who are wanting to buy like the nicest house in the neighborhood right and I was just like now I'm gonna have to find the nicest house in the neighborhood and, like, <laughs> pay that person that you know and I was like how do I write that out of the script oh and so I was like maybe they should never get the house right you know, maybe it should be this dream, this thing that they're trying to, you know, even when they have $5 million sitting in their bank account. And so I wrote in this character who he tries to buy the house from and she doesn't want to sell. Mm. 
it doesn't matter how much he offers. He's just like, who the fuck are you? No, this is my house. And so for that, it ended up being an interesting scene, but it was also a way of like cutting out a scene with 50 people. Totally. But it's, it's like the gift of necessity. Right. I mean, when, yeah. you, when you have to redirect, that's like when some of your best ideas happen and like the best shit happens in the room, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm, through my theater career and film career, that's, that stuff always happens. Every time like a door gets shut, like a wall falls down, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? The downside of it though is eventually it's like you have to impress, you have to keep things interesting somehow, Yeah. right? You can't keep just painting yourself into a corner. And so I think when you're Which cutting costs, you have to make up for it some way right uh, it's like i was like i'm gonna cut out all these scenes that you know these party scenes and all that but for me it was locations like i in order to make this movie interesting like i had to make good use of locations yeah yeah right you're like we're gonna shoot all every angle of this bitch right all day yeah yeah and like <laughs> i don't want that like ideally i was hoping the film could be made in you know seattle or portland or somewhere that was sure. like cloud cover and you know totally. kind of more futuristic looking yeah Colorado Springs is not dependable. No, it's so it's such a boring city in a lot of ways. And the and the what's happening in the sky is a pain in the ass all yes, the time. Yeah. And it's never gonna be the way that it was when you're like, God, it'd be so great if we could shoot right now. Mm-hmm. And even if you do get the camera out there, those clouds are about to part. Yes. And then you're gonna have all of those like <laughs> like white out splotches and then dark, like pitch black darkness on the sidewalk, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. It's hard it's it is hard to film here and I guess with, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, scenes in this film. Actually, in the script, it's pretty vague. Like, I'll mm-hmm. just be like, exterior, park bench. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, I don't honestly know where we're going to shoot this scene. Right. But then you you don't really want it to be a park bench, right? And right. so I would do a lot of location scouting. And, and uh, I took, like, Warner Herzog's master class during... Oh, you did? I did, yeah. Oh, my God. What the fuck does he say? Oh, well, he... This is a a huge Werner Herzog podcast, just so you know. (laughs) We all big fans. A lot of his, like, filmmaking philosophy is about life experience. Sure. And you need that to make a film. You know, that's kind of his mojo. And one thing he said is, is the world reveals itself to those who travel on foot. Like, you can't get to know a place driving in a car. Yeah. Or flying over it. Yeah. Like, you have to just go through those journeys. Like, one of his films, he was traveling through a field of landmines with the cameraman, and he was like, I will go first. And <laughs> he says, like, I will go first, and that way you will know it is safe, and I cannot ask anybody to do something that I am not willing to do. <laughs> so, I feel like every couple of weeks I hear a new Werner story that I'm just like, God, that guy's such a fucking... Such a maniac, and I love him <laughs> but so But that's where much. he gets these weird-ass ideas. Like, he oh, does, yeah. he goes out and he does these things. And yeah, I re- Fitzcarraldo does not come from staying at home. <laughs> right, it doesn't. Like, you can't, you can't. And it, it doesn't come, you know, it's like, there's value in watching, you know, Tarantino movies or Nolan totally. movies, right? Yeah. But it's like, you can't just make a film just by watching those two yeah. film directors no, and their stories. Life. Like, yeah. you have to live life, and you have to experience things and get a lot of different influences. And I remembered what Herzog said about, you know, you can't, you can never ask somebody to do something you're unwilling to do. Totally. And so I have a scene in this film where one of the characters jumps off a cliff into this, like, you know, 25 foot cliff into water. Uh, I was like, I have to do it first. 
<laughs> it's like I can't ask that of the actor. Like I have to actually jump first to show that it's safe. It's amazing. And you know he had no problem with it, and I was actually up there like shitting my pants for like ten minutes. Like I, I it's a lot scarier when you're looking down, right? Um, but yeah, for me it was just like, how do I find? Uh, there are interesting places in Colorado. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting like, places in the city. Yeah, yeah, you can find them, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, I, I kind of jotted down those things that Herzog was saying. It's just like go, go to some places in the city that like you haven't seen before, or uh, just like a, an area in the city. You know, um, it could be like a bike path, or it could be what some people might see as the ghetto, or just whatever. Right. Like you find these weird, interesting little secret places that you might not ever mm-hmm. discover. Um, so yeah, for me, I, yes, I realize it's a setback with this film of having to travel to tons of different places sure. to shoot these scenes. But you but know, once you have that footage, who fucking cares? That it looks hard good. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it it, it kind of amps up the production value. And I, I don't think you necessarily need like mind blowing locations all the time. Um, but I think for this, it helped because I kept like cutting costs whenever I could. Yeah. And just like, how do I film scenes with the least amount of characters possible? And so yeah, so what are for anyone who's like trying to make their first feature, or looking into doing it, like what are what are other places where you were able to cut costs effectively? You think? Uh, crew. I was gonna yeah. Were you one man banding this the whole time, or what kind of what kind of no. what size of crew were you working with? Very small. I mean, there were some days where it was just me and the cinematographer, uh-huh. but. We also don't want to make a sloppy film. It's like, you know, if we're going out and the sun's being down the actors, we have to set up some kind of diffusion. Right. And so we had one moment where I was holding the boom pole, he was filming, and we set up sort of like a diffusion with like two C-stands. We sure. and we, we clipped, you know, like a shower curtain. Uh-huh. And thank God, like, the wind wasn't blowing, because otherwise... That oh, because that would have just destroyed Yeah, that. it would have screwed up the entire scene, and, like, you know, not only could our rig have fallen apart, but the, it would have screwed up the audio, but there yeah. was no wind at all. And so, yeah, it's... One of my other friends, uh, his name's Tyler Hunt, and he just finished a film called Who Needs You, and he... I mean, he's, he went all in with it, spent all of his money... That was um, that, that was a much more expensive movie than ours, correct? Yeah, I think you told yeah. me to figure that. Well, once. and he wanted the best. Like he wanted like the best cinematography he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, I did audio for that film, but he was originally looking to find somebody with even more experience than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that guy for some reason couldn't do it, so mm-hmm. I was sort of his second choice. But he, you know, and he paid me a good, you know, what I would typically a competitive rate of what sure. I might charge sure. a film, and not just. For a film with a budget, yeah. Yeah, you're not just doing your friend a favor, but he didn't want favors. Like, he, you know, he maxed out credit cards to pay people. And I knew that I couldn't do that because I just don't make, I don't make that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my wife... Well, and it's like, I mean, it's going to put you in a hole if you ever want to make another one, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I, I think for me, yeah, cutting costs on... I don't know any sound people. Um, I don't know many sound people in the city other than myself, and I, I kind of became a sound person by default because I was tired of working on films with bad audio. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to put as much attention into audio as I do with cinematography. Right. Well, that's an important thing to note, too, that I don't think we mentioned before, is that you had spent a long time as a DP and cinematographer and, mm-hmm. and sound guy, and this was your first directorial experience, right? Or did right. you directed shorts, too? Uh, I did a few, like... 
I mean, what I started. It's not the same thing. But it's I not mean, the same <laughs> thing. You know, I did I did bad short films when I was fifteen with like a high eight camera. Nice. Um, yeah, I did a lot of unfinished uh-huh. short films. Um, and then I did, well, actually, one of them I did recently, and the only reason I made this short film is because I found it very hard. It was very difficult to get this film off the ground when you don't have. Like I knew I, I knew how to make a film. Like I knew mm. I have enough experience to do a good job. Mm. But it's hard to persuade that to people when your experience is totally. from a tech background. They're yeah. just like, Well, they don't view you as legitimate. Yeah. And you know, I, I had a very hard time finding the crew or the cast. Um the original actor, uh, it didn't work out for that mm. reason. And so I had to actually pause and put money down for a short film. Uh, quickly write a short film and film it just to have it in my back pocket and to, to, to show to show people and say like hey look because it's you know again <laughs> you maniac that's insane well it's, it's hard because it's like you know i i shot a film uh you know done the cinematography for a film that made it in the slam dance film festival and but it, it almost doesn't mean anything when you're trying to direct a film, because it's like, sure. well, you don't have experience directing. You have experience, like, shooting. Well, I think that's ridiculous. That would mean something to me. <laughs> well, I, and I think it does. I think I think all filmmakers... I, I, Slam Dance should have a lot of cachet for independent filmmakers, no matter what the, you know... That's my mentality. I, th- I think if you're an actor, if you're, you know, a stage actor, whatever experience you have, I think you can transfer. You might not have, this, you know, the same experiences, but it's... It's all experience. It's all experience, and it's yeah. like you know how to tell a story. Yeah. Like, um, you and know, the, on the blending of those different experiences is what kind of like makes the collaboration fun. Right. Yeah. But yeah. You, but you, but to your point, you do need a team. Like, it's yeah, it is hard to do by yourself. And if I, you know, if I, if I didn't have Bob, mm-hmm. who cut and colored the film and did all the sound on the days, mm-hmm. and also found us our production manager Angie, I would be fucked. Like, there's, I could not do. You know, I was, I was in Kent's movie and Kent was a one-man band like almost the entire time and i was like i could never fucking do that i think you can do it it's just number one it takes forever yeah um you know when you're a one-man band it's going to take five times as long to set things up yeah and that was actually my downfall the reason i lost my first actor was because we shot a proof of concept and i i was Uh the basically the only crew the only person there working yeah. on that i had to set up i had to set up the sound i had, I had to set the boom mic on a stand uh-huh. i just i did do the lighting and i want to do a really good job yeah but then it i was kind of scatterbrained and it was like i had too much stuff i had to, you know i had to order food and i had to do all this other stuff and it's like stuff that requires a crew and it was viewed as incompetence it was hard to explain that like this isn't that's incompetence ridic- it's ridiculous. just like it's hard to do all that stuff when it's just you yeah, um, well, and it's like I don't know. I I was really I was really lucky with the people that I had who worked on that worked on this that were they were all fucking game uh-huh. all the time. Yeah, and like you kind of gotta be, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I've been I've acted in acted in features and stuff that were, were varying budgets, and it's like uh-huh. dude, we're fucking here doing this, man. Like, yeah, <laughs> there has to be there has to be people willing to give you the benefit of a doubt. Yeah, like if that's not there you can't make a film like there has to be a level of trust or even if i don't trust you i'm going to uh risk it right yeah yeah it's all a gamble yeah yeah if that negativity is there it is contagious and it it spreads across the entire set like if totally. one person doesn't believe if one person doesn't want to be there then any slight 
situation that's inconvenient is going to it's going to be like an atomic bomb and just totally. mess everything up. Um, but yeah, cutting costs. <laughs> uh, so the cinematographer uh, Travis Eklund is his name. He's here in the Springs. He, uh, he moved down here from Nebraska uh, four or five years ago. Film mecca. Yeah, and he asked me. He's like, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm trying to get um, connected to the film industry here. Mm. We should meet up for coffee sometime." I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And then I completely just fucked that up and like kind of forgot. <laughs> sure. We it just never happened, right? Sure. And I think maybe both of us got busy. And many many years later, I met him on set for like a short film, and we didn't know each other very well. But I quickly realized like. I need to find a cinematographer that I wanted somebody with experience just cause you know, I kind of wanted the film to be visually dynamic, but I also knew that there was going to be a lot of responsibility right. for that person. Yeah. And so they, they need to almost like want this. Right. Yeah. And it's like, right. I'm not going to be able to compensate you for what you deserve. Right. Um, so like, do you want this? And I talked to certain people, and it's like they didn't want it. Yeah. They, they just weren't, you know, they're half inter interested in the script, or, you know, maybe they heard about uh, the failure of the proof of concept, uh -huh. and, you know, they weren't willing to take the risk. And it, that trust just wasn't there. And so I, I kind of met with Travis, and was just like, hey, I know we don't know each other very well, but I also know... Do you want to jump off a cliff with me? <laughs> yeah, I, I asked him that. And I know at one point, it's like, he had spent a, like a ton of money on an anamorphic lens. Oh, sick. <laughs> and it's something that like independent filmmakers don't do. It's yeah. like 8,000, you know, 8,000, whatever, maybe more yeah. for a lens. Yeah. And I thought that was fascinating because I, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for lenses. I, I love how drastically they can affect a feel. Mm -hmm. It's like... Shooting with the telephoto versus shooting with the wide, it's like you have a very different totally look. And a lot of people underestimate how important lenses are. But at the same time, I've never spent that kind of money on a lens. Right. But it kind of showed me that like he values what he does. Yeah. And I had always like lodged that in the back of my brain that like Travis takes this fucking seriously. Yeah, yeah. he does. And honestly, yeah, we had never really worked together in this like role before. Mm. Um. Or at least, you know, I'd been a sound guy, whereas, like, he was maybe a cam op or something like that. Sure. But it worked really, really well. And I think, like, we think pretty similar and we have a similar approach to making a film. Uh -huh. And he's kind of acted as a cinematographer and often as the gaffer, too. Like, he sets up lights. Sure. <laughs> and he does a lot. And, yeah, I, I feel like I owe him a lot. Um, but, yeah, my crew is, is small and then... You know, uh, Rob Bowen showed up. I'd never met him before, uh -huh. but he's been, you know... The guy seems fucking game as well. Oh, he's... Yeah, he's awesome. He's, he's really game. He's really great to work with and um, got along instantly. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's he's been gaffing for the film. And so we usually have about two to three, cre uh, two to three crew people on that's pretty, set. That's pretty good. Yeah. Two to three plus you is like... Yeah. It's pretty good. That's a, that's a team. Yeah. <laughs> and know? sometimes it's just Travis... There have been a couple where it's just Travis and I and we yeah. just had to wing it yeah um but yeah i just i didn't have the money you know to shell out and so i really had to kind of find people who were relatively hungry and doing that with audio is hard because audio is not a very pleasing job no it's yeah it's kind of boring that's, yeah that's why i'm so grateful for bob who is a sound 
nerd and uh-huh. really, <laughs> really is really interested in that. So he has a good time doing it because that's a thing that if I were asked to do on set, I one would be like, I don't know if I'm going to do this the right way, and two, I would be like bored to tears. It's it's yeah, it's tedious. There's not as much creativity as like cinematography. So I think people usually gravitate to cinematography or direction because sure. it's like more creatively satisfying. Mm-hmm. But that's like you have to have good sound, and nobody nobody wants to do it. Yeah, and normally I would fill in that role, but it's like I can't really do that right now with this film. And so I actually found um, a girl named Lane. Um, I spent a few days kind of showing her the ropes, and uh, uh-huh. this is what these different microphones do. And um, so I kind of had to assemble a team of a mixture of, of people that had you know experience in these certain roles but then also some people that didn't right that's and the fucking that's what it is though man that's, <laughs> that's the, the beauty of independent cinema right there yeah yeah <laughs> uh so i want to before we wrap up i still just want to do a have a talk about a couple more things that might help anybody who's on their journey trying to get a film made right now and i want and we talked about this a little bit beforehand too do you have any good like the sky is falling. I mean, you obviously you've already given me two of losing the camera before years before, and then having this you know kind of falling apart with the proof of concept in your original actor. But like, are there any other days on set that you were like, oh my god, this is a fucking nightmare. I don't even know if we're gonna get this, and if oh. we do, and if we don't get this, this might not happen. Yeah, we. And then how did you sort of, <laughs> you know? I've had a few close calls. Um, we have we had a scene shot at the Royal Gorge. Nice. And I think I remember you posting about this. Yeah, and uh, it could have been a disaster. It almost was, and we honestly just it was very very lucky that nothing happened. But um, I was trying to rack my brain because there's a scene where one of the characters he he drops an action camera off uh-huh. this huge distance because uh, the AI. She wants to feel like what it's like, uh, like, sure, that sounds cool. Free falling, uh, and so she's basically in this camera, and he just sort of sacrifices it so uh, that she can experience that. And I need, I, I needed the scene of just like falling down the canyon, just right? Free fall, yeah, yeah. And there's no drones allowed, like, oh, you sure. know, re- they re- they reserve the right to check your backpack and confiscate items if anything's suspicious. They don't want anybody jumping off the bridge they don't want anybody dropping anything off the bridge uh there's a train at the bottom sometimes there's uh, yeah and here i am i'm like trying to figure out like how do i get this footage of falling Mm -hmm. down a gorge like it'd be so easy if i had a drone Mm -hmm. and i thought like could i fly a drone from a distance but then i (laughs) i just didn't want in you know it's like there 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 is security there and i I didn't want to really break their rules and so I did some research on like 360 cameras, uh-huh. and so I realized like with these cameras is they don't work like traditional cameras, to where if you pan or tilt the camera, the view will follow where right. the camera points. Right, right, right. They're 360 degrees, so in post that's where you change your view. Sure. You can zoom in or zoom out, mm-hmm. or just you know you can really create this like 3d scope in post sure now when the camera spins it's got a like a grab uh 
what earth stabilizer i think it's called uh sure. so when the camera spins it still stays static that's sick so what i did is i strung up this gopro on a spool of strings <laughs> love it and i was like okay so i'm gonna drop it down and i'm gonna hold the spool with my two fingers in between the spool and just let it go like just let it drop <laughs> and it seemed like a really good plan and GoPro even offers this cloud service where, like, mm. if you lose your GoPro, you still can store the footage right. on the cloud. Uh -huh. And it's only $50 a year. But I was just like, oh, fuck, like $50. Like, I, that's money I can pay on, you know, buy food for the cast and crew. Yeah, right. And so I did not go for that. And right. I took this risk, which is the dumbest thing in hindsight. Like, yes, I should have paid the $50 because there were so many things that could have happened. But what we did, um, my wife Anna and I went up there and... We're like, okay, we don't want to drop it off the edge. Let's drop it through one of the cracks in the bridge. Because that way it's sure. less conspicuous. It's like doesn't look as suspicious. Sure. And so we stuck the camera and I just dropped it and I let it go. And I could see the camera below us and it was just the wind was actually carrying it really, really far uh -huh. out past, you know, past the bridge. And it wasn't really falling at terminal velocity. But at a certain point, the string got caught um, on, like, a notch in the wood. Uh. And I realized, like, okay, now is when I should probably fucking start winding this thing up. Because <laughs> nobody was on the bridge at the... For some reason, it was clear, and we were the only people on the bridge at this time. Uh. And that's not normally the case. But I start rolling it up as fast as I can. I'm just like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And, I, like, I can't roll it down fast enough. Um, and the string is actually starting to fray because of all the friction... Uh-huh. On the wood. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, what if it breaks and I just lose this camera and I lose all this footage? And so I'm rolling it up. And then she, you know, Anna's looking over the edge. She's like, okay, you got 30 feet left. And I'm just, like, spinning it as fast as I can. And then this security cart is approaching us. And I'm just like, Ugh. And so we've got, like, 10 feet left. And I'm rolling it up. And the security cart, you know, is maybe 30 feet away. And then I finally get it. And I just, I stuff it in my backpack. I stuff everything in my backpack. The camera's still recording. Uh, and I did a quick like switcheroo with the SD card, uh, the micro SD card. I was just, I'm gonna sure. pop that out so if they confiscate that, then, like, whatever, then it's, yeah. And I almost dropped it. It just, well, no, it, it fell out of my, but it, it didn't, it didn't fall down the crack. I did drop it, but it didn't fall uh, uh -huh. down the crack. And I, I scooped it up, uh, put it in a safe place, and then put like a decoy SD card in the camera. And then the security guard approaches. And I just, I just whip out my DSLR and I just start like acting like I'm a tourist. <laughs> that's, that's, I don't, I don't know what answer I was looking for with that question, but that is exactly oh, what the Lord, fuck dude, I'm talking about. It was about. so fucking scary. And I was like, uh, what should we, like, should we get out of here? But then I was like, you know, I might as well just take some more footage. Like we're here. Sure. Yeah. But this security guard, he's, he's, he's following us around and just kind of like watching us. Cause he, he clearly saw something and he, you know, he probably mm. figured we might've dropped something off the bridge or maybe he saw the spool or I don't know. Oh, I don't right. know how much he saw. Sure. Could be anything. But God dude. And yeah, in hindsight, I'm just like, why the fuck didn't I pay that $50 to ensure that I have the footage? <laughs> so there's another tip for filmmakers too. If you're going to use a GoPro in a sticky situation, <sighs> spend the 50 bucks on the cloud storage. You have to, right? Cause it's like, yeah, there's tons of things that could have gone wrong. And I think I was sort of in a different mindset of just like, let's just, you know, 
go in and go out and I'll save 50 bucks, right? Yeah. Uh, and again, that adds up on an indie film, but it's like when yeah. you're securing a scene like this, like you have to pay that fucking money. Yeah, totally. Just do it. It is funny the way that I think that, I mean, and you've taken some breaks in your shooting. Ours is a little more, you know, intensive over the course of a month, but like the state of your brain is in such a, such a frenetic place where you're either like trying to not spend any money or you're like if this is going to cost $1,800 then we're going to spend $1,800 you're, you're down to, mm-hmm. to do you're like operating from both places of your brain all the time and it's it's really no it's really no way to live mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't I can't really recommend it unless you uh, unless you fucking want it yeah I <laughs> I can't get in the frame of mind right now like even editing I've edited that was going to be one of my next questions is if, is I know you started, when did you, when did you start shooting in the summertime? Is the summer? We started summer last year. So as soon as I found the lead actor, we shot a few scenes. I think it was in May or June. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been, it's been an on and off process because, you know, a lot of these actors have demanding jobs. Right. You know, some of them working six days a week and not mm-hmm. even five. Um, and, you know, even toward the end of it, like, I took on a, a full-time job. Uh-huh. Like, I was I was freelancing, but then it's like, when you're making a film, you can't really successfully do business. Right. Like, I was just kind of, my money was just free-falling. Right. And my wife had to take a job at Target for a while, uh-huh. just so that we could pay bills. And I wasn't even thinking about that. She's like, oh, yeah, wintertime, you know, that's usually when freelance opportunities fizzle out. Right. So she gets a job at Target, and then sure enough, like... I, I completely run out of money and like she has to pay bills for two months. Uh, um, and then I got, yeah, I found a job full time and I, I took it because yes, I could use some steady money and also we've only got a few days left of the film. Right. But, uh, but have you, have you been editing, uh, editing or, uh, or no, at least assembling uh, or anything uh, like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's not really like, it's hard for me to get into that headspace. I mean, I, I've edited, one scene and done like half of another uh-huh. but for me it's like when you've got this colossal beast of like i have to finish the film i have to sure you know it's like my mind can only be in so many places at once mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to get in this headspace of like post-production when i don't even sure have the sure. rest of the well film. that's and that's another thing that when you're doing it on your own mm-hmm. you know it, it can it could hold you back a little bit that was that was a huge benefit of having bob you know he would take the footage from the day and we, d- we didn't do a lot of, like, watching dailies at the end of the day like we did with some of the other things that we've done in the past, mostly because I, my, like, nerves couldn't handle it with this one as opposed to, like, our web series that I was like, yeah, let's fucking see this silly shit. This one was a little more difficult. But he was putting together pretty rough assemblies, you know, a week, two weeks after we had shot them. So we were, we were at least able to, like, step back and, like, look at the shape of certain moments and, like, kind of kind of know the rhythm of the movie before we had wrapped everything which was like so invaluable you know to to have have a a skeleton and a foundation of what the thing was like i think our rough cut was done in september it was our first full and you rough. started we shot all through may and one week of june and we had wow. a, and we had a rough cut in september yeah because you were telling me that uh you filmed every weekend, right? Yeah, I think we d- we did at least Friday, Saturday, Sunday for a month with uh-huh. a couple of with a couple of like mon- Monday, Thursdays thrown in there. There's one scene that we had to shoot three different times, 
that we finally wrapped in June. But well, why do why do it have to be shot three times? Uh, different different reasons. Oh. Uh, Kendra, uh, who plays Bernie, got she like got like a little cold, and mm. she showed she showed up, you know, at seven in the morning with this like frog in her throat, and I was like, well, oh. we can't, like we can't fucking work with this, Kendra. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was, but it's funny because we actually shot the. She still had that kind of lingering when we shot the scene, like the morning after uh-huh. uh, the everything. And it kind of worked for that. Like, for, for her having been up all night long and doing all this crazy shit, it was like, okay, this works. But at the very, it was for the, the first scene, which is, you know, that really kind of long, it's a seven page walk and talk that we do in like seven setups or whatever. Uh, I was like, we, this is not going to work. And then we tried it again. And then it was raining. Exactly what I was just saying, where it's like, it's shining so bright, and then the clouds come in, and then it rains, and now the street's fucking wet, so, like, we can't do this, and that's not gonna work, and then, I think even, like, that last day that we did it, we changed, it was a thing, that was a thing that I had done a, like, a practice shoot, like, a test footage thing during COVID with my girlfriend, I was just, like, I would walk in some frames with her, and then the other ones I would just have her walk alone, and I had, like, already cut it, and I was like, this is how that first scene gets shot. And then when we tried to do it with this, and we were doing it not post-COVID, but more post-COVID than it was at the time, there's cars, and people are dropping off their kids at kindergarten, and people are blowing leaves, and you're like, oh, my fucking God, like, we're not going to be able to do this, or I have had this set in the writing for two-plus years or whatever, so we had to reroute that, and then even, like, my... There's only like there's only like one or two shots in the whole movie that make me want to pull my eyes out, and they're in those opening moments. My monitor had died, and then it was like 95 degrees, and the sun was so bright. So I'm trying to like read off the little tiny monitor, and I'm like, these frames are just fucking not right. But we got it in, and it's what it, it's what's in the movie today. I know we're wrapping pretty soon, but I I just I have to ask you really quick, just a few things. Yeah, I feel like this. Yes, I'm kind of a guest here, but I also feel like the conversation's been mostly dominated with uh, my film. Well, that film. was the point. <laughs> well, with, with your film, though, uh, what was your process like? Like, what was your writing process like? And um, what were you trying to accomplish with, with this movie? Like, like, where do you hope it will go? Um, what, what, is, what is your aim? Like, how are you going to use this for, for your to build momentum? I don't know. Um... I mean, to answer the first part, it's pretty similar to yours, you know, I had a, I had a relationship that kind of fell, fell apart when I was younger, and, uh, and a, and a, and a friendship that didn't, didn't really fall apart, but it definitely was kind of fractured in a certain moment of time that involved this other person, and I was still, like, even years down the line, like, still processing how I felt about some of that stuff, so, I, you know, you just start, you just kind of start going, and the characters start talking to each other, and... Is that how you write? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. You, like, you let a conversation evolve? Yeah, you just got... I, I do, think, too. I think yes. so. I think, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's when, that's when you know that you have something, I uh-huh. think, is when... But it's not yeah, always mapped out when you start. No, you just kind of let it. No, because I mean, I mean, I remember the, the I started that script like on a word document, <laughs> and I was like kind of like writing it like a play. Okay. I had no intention of doing it like a play, but I didn't know how to format a screenplay, so it didn't matter. And I just had like a pile of stuff at the bottom that I was like, I think that this should happen. 
this is a cool line. <laughs> you know, maybe we can get that in somewhere. A lot of those did not make it in because they didn't make any sense coming out of those people's mouths. But once they, once the characters just are communicating the way that they have just somehow appeared there, you know, like the, you know, like Rachel's character, Lucy, seems to be the one who garners the most audience sympathy and people seem to respond to that character the most on the page and I don't really know where the hell that came from. I was initially trying to like make fun of somebody and then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, this is the most sympathetic character in the whole thing. Just, just based on what the character was doing as I was writing, you know, it's fucking weird how that happens, but I don't know. The goal, I mean, I would just like for as many people to see it as possible for as many people who feel like the, the world and the characters that we made are tangible. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are our age or younger or older too, you know, who have been in like the service industry, beverage industry s- scene, and especially the people who have struggled to get out of it as they got older when they realized that there was more to do. And then the the thing that's been the most gratifying when I was showing the script to people and when people have seen it and you were at our screening, we had probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 people there, is people being like, I've been one of those three people in that kind of triangle or I've been all three of those people at different times in my mm. life. You yeah. know what I mean? That's that's really all. I just want as many people who feel like they can attach themselves to it to see it as, as possible. And we've submitted to probably 60 festivals and are probably going to submit to another 20-ish. I mean, that our, uh, our secondary fundraiser for those funds is, <laughs> has not been as successful as the first one, but it's okay. I mean, 60 is a pretty good metric to judge it on. You know, I'm hoping to get into five out of 60, you know what I mean? Like that would feel like a huge success for me. So it, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, weird, weird market right now. I mean, you know, and, and on one hand you've got, you know, small time players like making mm-hmm. you know great great films mm-hmm. and the competition is so fucking steep so steep i mean espe- especially in those feature categories because they only yeah. take two three four five six of them uh-huh you know and so many in so many festivals you know there's a few that i'm like fuck i shouldn't have spent the 30 bucks on that and i should have done more research on them because so many mm-hmm. of them are like genre devoted yeah or you know, and I think that this is great. Like, there's more of a cultural specificity to what they're looking for in some. Like, I submitted to one, and Bob was like, are you a Latin American woman? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, did you read the description? And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> you know, like. I think I think there's no better time, though. It's like, I don't really care what the competition's like. You know, I don't really care. Even with my film, I don't really care what happens to it. Sure. Um, as, long, mean, as long as you like it yeah and maybe that sounds well and i want that i want the people who work on it to like it too sure but that's my primary audience like people say like oh well who's the audience for this film and i don't know i have no idea yeah right like yeah yeah how the fuck we just answer the question yeah and it's like i don't like movies that uh, sort of cater to yeah and kowtow to like a theoretical audience which is like oh well who's this for it's just like stop like write something that means something to you yeah and then whoever connects with it it's like whether they do or they don't is kind of up to chance yeah but that's kind of my angle it's like i don't i didn't put a single thought into like who this film is for like i want a film that mm-hmm. 
to me seems interesting and like how can I make it interesting with the resources that I have totally and how can I make it a good experience for people working on it um, and another thing too there was something I, I kind of jotted down in my brain from well, actually two things um, when Bong Joon-ho made Parasite um, he won like an Oscar for that film and he it was they won four motherfucking Oscars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, when he won, he won director. It was like a surreal moment for him because it's like my idol, Martin Scorsese, sitting right there. Oh, and he and he says the Scorsese quote. Yes, he says the Scorsese oh. quote of like the most personal or what he says. Uh, the best films are often the most personal or something. Yeah, so. or the most personal is the most creative. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, it's like he made a film that it's like he doesn't know who it's for, right? And right. It's, but it's you know, you're not the only person on this universe in this you know in this planet who, who yeah. feels these things yeah right? existentialism is a humanism that's the yeah. whole point the guy on the bus who looks indifferent is feeling exactly how i do in his own way yeah right right like we're not on an island like we might feel like we are but we're not and um one of the greatest oscar moments of all time i loved it because yeah. it cuts to scorsese before they say it and uh -huh. he's like oh shit i said that <laughs> it's like just such a beautiful tender moment <laughs> it's incredible yeah but, it was powerful and um one of the last great moments before COVID happened. Well, yeah. <laughs> that was like two weeks before everything happened. <laughs> well, that's another film, right? It's like just the weirdness of that film. Like, I, I, I'm in love with films like that where it's... Um, but also, yeah, it's uh, another director, I guess, who's he's so hot right now. Um, no, it's uh, Denny... I didn't even know how to say it. Denny Villeneuve. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, his, his last time. I'm like, I never know how to pronounce it. Um, but yeah, he... he talks about how your first few films you shouldn't make them uh, to try to get an audience like right. you should make them to try to attract other filmmakers and actors totally right totally. it's like this film like you know venus and cancer you know it could blow up you don't know but if it doesn't you've got this like fantastic resource of like connecting sure. with other artists and i think that's much more valuable sure than like how am i gonna mark this and like how am i gonna make my money back right it's like what thirty thousand dollars like who cares right. i mean yeah, yeah it's money but like yeah no it's absolutely you know but i do and i you know i don't have quite the i'm a little more baby brain to you know i was ta like talking to you or talking to nelson about his movie i'm like jesus so many other things at play other than like my movie about like drinking and kissing or whatever the fuck you know most of my ideas are in that ball in that universe so like any potential what's wrong with that no i i fucking agree with you but like any potential collaborate that i have i'm like it's gonna be a lot like this you know what i mean like it's it's people sitting and talking in rooms and and yearning that's really i love it. films like that and i you know i i truly feel that you have a special film here i, I think it's it's got the charm of like it's just it's got that charm like that that indie charm of like, I want to see this movie despite, sure, you know these other, you know polished films, sure on the market. Like, I still want to see films like this. Yeah, uh, like, no, me too. There's, you know, there's yeah, there's totally like a, a uniquely independent like tech texture, mm -hmm. I guess. You know, in some of the you know like the Joe Swanberg movies of the mid two thousands that he shot like on video or whatever, mm -hmm. like those obviously look a certain kind of way. But even, um. God, I'm kind of blanking now, but even, you know, some of those things that came out 2009, 2010, 2011, like when that C1, C100 was like a new camera or whatever, mm -hmm. that have that texture, I, I like them. I do too. I, you yeah. know, and like, 
we were talking about how neither one of us likes some of these new reds and the way mm-hmm. that they, I'm like, these look like deodorant commercials, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this looks like an Under Armour commercial. This doesn't look like cinema. Like, yeah. I even, I don't, like, want to talk shit about anything either, but, you know, like, I just watched Nightmare Alley the other day, and it's, and I, and I love Del Toro, but, like, the, that, like, hyper-real-looking photography and, like, that really, like, there's something about when people in the 21st century try to do those 40s noir things where I'm like, don't do that. It doesn't work. Like, yeah. It doesn't work like that anymore. Almost like, yeah, it's, it feels, I know what you mean. Cause I, I loved it. I thought, you know, it's technically a very impressive, uh, film, but there's something about it that feels slightly plasticky. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the shape of water where it's like, I was very, I'm very impressed. Like I love the world building is insane. Yeah. The world building is insane. It's like, I love the floating camera. Like the camera is always kind of floating around and moving around as if, as if you're underwater almost. Yeah. Like, I don't think it was static or on a tripod very often. No. Yeah. Thinking about thinking back on it. Yeah. Um, but there was a little bit of a plastic feel where I, I, yes, I like the fairy tale aspect of it where it's not quite reality. But it's a little bit like, do I believe that I'm in the 60s right now? Like, I'm not, I don't really know. Yeah, you're kind of like, I don't really know where the fuck I am right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which and is cool, too. I mean, that's a magic that is, like, completely unique to him, but it's not my style at I all. I almost feel like it would benefit them, though, to, like, you know, get a little messier. Not, totally. not with their camera movement, but maybe with the type of cameras they choose. Maybe shoot sure. on. Or the lenses that they maybe choose. Maybe use a vintage lens or something yeah, that's, exactly. like, yeah, exactly. you know, not so sharp. And yeah. a little dusty. And yeah, exactly. That's like you're like, this is what we would use to like shoot the Super Bowl. It's like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. And yeah, I, if you want to shoot on like a you know, Ari Alexa LF, like maybe slap like a, I don't know, like an old 1970s sure lens on it and see what crap, happens. Man. If I if I could do nothing but shoot with 70s lenses, I'd <laughs> definitely do that. I know that when you came yeah. over here after the screening that I was all fucked up, but I'm like, next fucking thing we're doing, we're shooting on film. Cause I and I still feel and I still feel that way, man. I mean, the only the only I try to make my goals smaller and more attainable as I get older. And shooting something in 16 millimeter is the is the dream. Yeah, that's the dream. And if that's and if I can use this movie that we threw a bunch of film grain on, uh, to to pitch to any investor at any point, it's like give me the 40 grand it's going to take to make this on 16 millimeter. Then I won't spend a dime on anything else. <laughs> We're all gonna eat McDonald's fries while we make this fucking thing. <laughs> You're gonna get that budget you want to pay the actors and just spend yeah. it all on film. Yeah. Well, I'd I'd probably have to I'd have to use all my buddies that I used in this one. I had a lot of that was another huge benefit for our budget is um just because I have such a long working relationship with a lot of these people like Mike and Desan. Um, you know, they refused to be paid. Family, family family didn't eat they yeah. they all they all did it because it was more important to them to get the movie made yeah uh bob also didn't get paid and bob probably deserves it more than anybody because he did more shit than anybody did uh but you know it was a, it was a family affair and that's what helped get it made see what he did sound he color graded he edited mm-hmm. he sound mixed cool yeah the the, the song that we that's a, that's the, a, the song that we use multiple times in the movie the the harp and trumpet song he didn't make he didn't record it but, but that was his connection that got us the song his dad his bob's dad was the like the jazz band director at georgia state i i believe for for like years and years and years and um and that and that musician and his wife they both played with the the 
Boston Center Jazz Orchestra was in, he was in Bob's dad's jazz band back in like the early 90s or whatever, and we hit him up and he said, go ahead, you know. Wow. You gotta, <laughs> so, you, gotta, I, you I was, also have a string puller, you know. Yeah, I was wondering about that soundtrack, too. I was like, this sounds better than... You know, something you would find... That song's insane. It sounds more, way more authentic than something you find on, like, Music Bed or, like... <sighs> that, stuff I mean? is, that stuff is tough. That stuff is tough. Yeah. Yeah. We had originally... We were going to get an original score, but we kind of got we kind of got that guy introduced a little bit too late. And mm-hmm. it was like, no, we need to finish this movie by October. And he's like, what? <laughs> uh, next time. Next, we'll, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do an original score next time. Uh... <laughs> Very well, that was a good talk. I am gonna I'm gonna steal a sign off from another podcast, so I don't really care. So the last question I'll ask you before we wrap up is what is the last great movie that you've seen? Oh well. Could um, be it could be a new one or just a new one to you. The last great movie I'd never seen any of his films before, but uh Andre Tarkovsky. Oh yeah, baby. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, I saw. Uh, they're so bizarre, but I saw. Um, what is it? Not Stalker. Um, I just rewatched Stalker not that long ago. What's his? Uh, what is the name Solaris? of this? Solaris. No. It's like, it involves like this guy that's like after World War Two, and it's like he's trying to adapt to like the USSR and. It, uh, mirror. Mirror. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a weird, trippy film. And I wish I'd seen it much sooner because I love uh, I love surrealism, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes it can just get a little too um, pretentious. Sure. Like I I kind of sure. have a love hate thing with like David Lynch. Sure. Sure. Think, yeah, I like the creativity. He's, he's on the he's on the list too of a of a film guy thing that you're like, ugh, don't you're not David Lynch. <laughs> right. Yeah. People try to imitate it. Yeah. Well, it's like David Lynch. He takes a little too far sometimes. Where I'm like, yeah, it's a little bit pretentious, but I. I haven't thrown up yet. Yeah, right. And it's creative, and I, I like it. But, like, Tar- uh, Tarkovsky, it, it feels less like he's pursuing this from a place of, like, trying to be artistic, mm-hmm. and more like he has some weird-ass experiences from growing up. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and he puts those into the film, but he also kind of has to be um, vague about it, because he's making this film in the USSR when, Mm -hmm. you know, they're censoring, Mm -hmm. they're trying to, you know, if he says anything unfavorable or whatever, they're going to censor that. And he has some certain jabs about, you know, the USSR and like the totalitarian communist system that was going on there. Yeah. Um, and one of them in this film, the character talks about like how he has like one good suit, like one high quality suit. Uh And, you know, he's like, but you know, the, the cost of living or no, he says, uh, the the quality of living keeps going up, but there's no private property. Like, how does this work? <laughs> and it's almost like this, almost like a s- satirical jab yeah. at, you know, the system that they're living in. Right. But it, I feel like it goes over the heads of people who are just kind of maybe brainwashed by the propaganda. Sure. And they missed it. Yeah. And so anyway, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of trippiness in, in Mirror. And one thing I love about the film is how well, um, not only the framing is, how good the framing is, but also uh, the blocking. Totally. So you have these scenes totally. where it starts off, you know, one of the scenes that sticks in my memory is this kid climbing up a hill, a snowy hill, 
and pe you know people are sledding down this hill and it's a huge scene with a ton of people and you're like who am i supposed to be looking at right now there's tons of people here and then you realize the kid walking closer to the camera is who you're uh, supposed to be you yeah. know drawing focusing focusing on and you know it's deep focus too like there's you know there's yeah, no focus is. that's drawing your attention to certain objects but anyway, he walks up and it turns into a close-up. And then we start following him. And so he's got these amazing shots where it's it's almost like, you know, some of these newer films, Birdman or um, mm. The Revenant, where they have really long takes. Mm. But in Mirror, you forget that it's yeah. a single take. Because yeah, they, they don't draw attention for themselves the same way that those, that, that a lot of people do. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, it's not just following somebody with the steady cam. It's like, this is a wide shot. It's framed like a wide shot. Now it's a close-up. Now we're gonna turn around and follow this person on a dolly track, and I would I couldn't finish the film uh, without rewinding it and being like, "Wait a second, was that one shot?" Right. And I would have to take the remote. <laughs> it takes you four hours. Yeah. Yeah, it took me like maybe six hours to watch this film. <laughs> but yeah, just the cinematography is so amazing, and um, yeah, just kind of the ex existentialism that these people are are going through and often movies that don't have much of a plot i'm kind of like okay where's this going sure and i never felt that way with mirror and it doesn't have it doesn't really have a plot yeah no but it yeah his movies yeah that's definitely that's not the point of his of yeah his it's a it was just fascinating to watch and i, I couldn't really take my eyes off the screen um yeah, Tark, so. they don't they don't they don't call Tark Basky a master master for nothing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really good stuff. And I, this a, probably sounds a real fucking deal. <laughs> probably sounds really pretentious to like anybody listening to that conversation. But fuck that. Watch some fucking Tarkovsky movies. Yeah, yeah, they're great. And I wish <laughs> after after spending an hour and a half saying all the stuff that people watch is dumb, I'm telling you, the Tarkovsky stuff is gonna make you smarter. I wish I'd seen it sooner. You know. Sure. And I, I think it, I, I feel I feel that way with movies all the time. Where I'm like, where the yeah. fuck has this been my whole life? Yeah, you know. And I, I was lucky when I was you know writing Matchbot. I was lucky to discover certain movies on the cusp of like, you know, forty pages in, left with the sure. script, and I'd be like, oh shit, like, ex machina, like what? Where sure. where's this movie been all my life? And yeah. you know, I'd sort of implemented certain ideas from that film. Um, and yeah, there's some films that I kind of stumbled into and. And I wish that I had stumbled into Tarkovsky like before I had, a little sooner, yeah, yeah, sooner like before I finished the script. I think I would have implemented a lot of his. I don't know. I would have stole a little bit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, I don't know. Who knows? If yeah, next yeah. one. If I yeah, and I don't. I honestly don't know. I'm not really thinking that far into the future. Like I, I don't know if there is going to be a next one. Um, I love film, and so it's almost like I don't. Um. Yeah, it's not like necessarily my goal to be a. A film director sure like i just i have to be a part of the creation process sure right um yeah i love i love quality films and i love like when good stuff is released to, to the world and so yeah. it's like i don't necessarily like i don't have to be in charge of a production really sure. or it doesn't necessarily have to be my baby um but yeah i don't yeah i have no idea where that leaves me or like what that means career-wise or whatnot but well, I'll ask you again once you've uh, finished editing the film. You might yeah. have, you might be singing a whole different tune by then. We'll see. And I, <laughs> I'll say too, it's it's not actually my favorite role. Like directing a film is not my favorite. Really, um, I I do gravitate more toward the tech end. I think in terms of sure. enjoyment. Sure. Um, but again, ultimately, it's like it's the film that matters to me, and right. um, I realized with this film, it was it was just kind of too personal. I I couldn't just give the script to somebody else. Sure. Sure. I just kind of had to do it myself. Um, but yeah, anyway, 
Well, there you go, everybody. Get personal. That's what it's all about. Well, Ian, thank you for coming and doing our first, our first in this uh, little series. I, uh, I'm not sure who I'll talk to next, but I have a couple of leads since there's only five or six of us that have done this. So. Yeah, <laughs> I could drop some names. I know, I know a few people. Uh, but yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for coming in, and I'll uh, we'll hang out again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christian. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you.